You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to Psalm chapter 111. Psalm chapter 111. Last week, if you were with us, you'll remember that we were in Psalm chapter 90 to kick off the new calendar year. We talked about the biblical concept of what it looks like to number our days, specifically just looking at the fact that because our life is short and it passes so quickly, uh, seeing the responsibility that we have to number our days by choosing to engage wisely in the works that will matter most while praying for God to crown those efforts with his success. And so I challenged you last week to really think through plans that you have for this upcoming 2022 uh, year and to make plans Uh, to make plans regarding the things that are most important, the things that will endure not just for a season of life, but for all eternity, to really invest in the things that are most important, Um, and then to pray for God to bring success to those efforts that you've put forth, to really pray that God would bring about the things that you've prioritized, specifically if you've prioritized them according to his word, then he would want to bring those things about. Um, Today we're going to look at actually two psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 111 and Psalm 112, because they go so hand-in-hand together. And so I want us to look at actually both of these psalms. And so I'm going to read them, and then we're going to work through both uh, quickly, verse by verse, to see how uh, Psalm 111 sets us up for uh, what we find in Psalm 112. Okay, so Psalm 111, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. And then Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously in lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will, rem- he will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph. On his adversaries. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Our summary sentence for today when we reflect properly on the works of God, it incites a desire within us to obey the words of God. And when we find ourselves in difficult times, the stability we have come to know about God keeps us firm, steady, and unafraid. When we reflect properly on the works of God, it incites a desire within us to obey the words of God. And when we find ourselves in difficult times, the stability we have come to know about God keeps us firm, 
steady and unafraid. For our kids, the more we know about God, the more we will want to follow him. The reason I've chosen to group these two psalms together is because they work together to show us the correlation between God and his work and the godliness that flows from those who follow him. And so we're going to see how God and what he has done shapes what man does in response. So those who choose to follow God respond to his work and end up working godliness in their own lives. Uh, Both Psalms are Hebrew acrostics, so you've got 22 lines in each, and they each start in successive or in order of successive letters in the Hebrew alphabet, right? So this would have been a way for them to easily memorize the content of these two psalms, because uh, if we were doing something similar, we would, we would write a psalm that would, the first line would start with A, the second line would start with B, the third line would start with C. So you would see the A, B, C, D, E, F format, and it would help jog your memory. If you're trying to remember the next line, you would know that it starts with the next letter in our alphabet. That's how they would have written it here in the Hebrew. So it was a teaching tool. So the content maybe doesn't flow exactly uh, in like a chronological type way or in a, in a systematic type way uh, because it's written more towards uh, gearing it uh, for the letter that's next in the order. So we'll jump around a little bit as we're formulating an understanding of the ideas and concepts uh, in this chapter. Uh, both of these psalms together help us to know who God is and what a godly life is meant to look like. We're going to see in Psalm chapter 111, You've got a lot of attributes of God, and then we're going to see in Psalm chapter 12 how those attributes become the character traits of the godly. Uh, Both of these psalms together help us to see the great privileges that come with being named amongst God's people. Now, here's a key idea that we're going to really hone in on throughout this uh, study this morning. A proper vision of God leads to living out the godly life properly. A godly life flows from knowing God deeply. So the idea being here that as image bearers of God, we reflect about God what we know to be true of God. Okay, so the godly life that we're called to live is really meant to flow from us having a proper vision of who God is and what he has done. Okay, so why is this important? Why is this concept that we're going to see here in 111 and 112 so important? Well, it's really the only way to, to really buy in on why we should do what we are called to do. Seeing God for who he truly is is really the only way to really buy in on doing what we are called to do. So here's how God's works. God is calling us to live for him in obedience, okay? And the ways that he calls us to do so, not in a burdensome way, but in a delightful way, is he reveals his character He reveals his works of provision towards his people, which incites a response from those who really study and see his character, who really study and see his provision. The only thing that makes sense is to to respond by following a God like this. A God who would care for his people, take care of his people, give to his people, sacrifice for his people. Why would we not follow that type of God? This is so important for our kids and youth that are sitting here this morning right? Because our kids and youth who are growing up in Christian homes, they are hearing a lot of what they should be doing, right? As parents, we're teaching them what they should be doing, but we must, must, must connect it with the why piece, right? If we're not careful, our kids will just hear do, 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 do over and over and over again, and we have to connect the why piece. 
Why are we called to do these things? And why should we want to do these things? Not so we can just get a piece of candy, right? Not so we can get some type of incentive that's been dangled out before us. And sometimes incentives are needed to, to motivate right behavior, right? We use that in the school system. We use that in our home sometimes as well. Hey, if you will do this, if we can barter, or bargain and, and barter here and, and I'll trade you something, right? If I can get you to do this, then I will gladly give you this in response, right? That, that's needed sometimes. But overall, to get longevity, God says, I'm calling you to do something. I'm calling you to follow me. But I want you to see my character as to why it makes so much sense to do so. Right, so as our kids and youth grow up and they come out from your house and start to build their own house, will they continue to do the things that you've called them to do? Will they continue to follow the things that you've trained them to follow? I believe they will if they see the why, if they connect the why they have been called to this. And Psalm 111 and 112 helps us to see the why. Okay, so let's jump in and we're going to look at both of these psalms, starting with Psalm 111. Uh, If you're taking notes, number one, we are called to study the works of God and praise him. Study the works of God and praise him. Now, what we're going to see here in Psalm 111 is that who God is and what he has done lays the foundation for why we should delight in obeying him. Who God is and what he has done lays the foundation for why we should delight in obeying him. Now, we, we, we have to obey him because he's our creator, right? We have to obey him because he's our creator. We've talked about this for years, that the idea of creator rights. I was sharing this with our middle schoolers when I did chapel this week. God has creator rights over us, which means we belong to him. Whether we like it or not, we belong to him, and we have a responsibility to be obedient to him, right? You have parental rights over your kids. Your kids have to be obedient to you. Right? They don't have to necessarily be obedient to other parents. They don't have parental rights over them. You have the parental rights. Your kids have to be obedient to you. We have to be obedient to God, and he will judge us accordingly if we are not because he has creator rights over us. But we ought to want to be obedient to him because of the type of creator he is. That's the key concept this morning, is that we have to be obedient, yes, but we ought to want to be obedient because of the type of creator that he is. Okay, so who he is, what he's done, lays the foundation for why we should delight in obeying him. Let's see how this breaks down in Psalm 111. Number one, a knowledge of God is best obtained and worship of him is best expressed in community with other believers. So this idea of studying the works of God and praising him for those works. We see here in Psalm 111 verses 1 and 2, it's best obtained and best expressed in community with other believers. Look what it says. Praise the Lord. A command for us to praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Greater the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. So the psalmist who wrote this is calling us to do several things in verses 1 and 2. To, to rejoice, to praise the Lord, to give thanks for him. Uh, to give thanks to him, to do so from a heartfelt attitude of worship. We'll talk more about what that means. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, but not just individually, right? And there's certainly an individual component to our worship. Our hearts have to be right for worship to be meaningful. But our worship also has to be done in community for it to be best obtained, the knowledge of God, and best expressed in an attitude of worship. 
meaning that we're not meant to, to follow God in isolation. We're meant to do so in community. So it doesn't minimize our need for personal worship and personal study, uh, but it does imply here that, that we are to be uh, pursuing this in community with other believers. Our hearts have to be right, yes, as individuals, but the community helps us to do this properly. How's that the case? Well, I don't know about you, but I don't every day wake up wanting to praise the Lord and follow him. Not, not, not fully from my heart like I, like I want to. There, there are times and seasons of life where I don't feel the things that I should feel all the time. Thankfully, though, by doing life with a community of believers, if I'm not feeling that on a certain day, most likely there's somebody else in my community that is. Right? So when we gather in community like this, we are encouraging each other. Because when I don't feel like praising him, or I don't feel like following him, my flesh is kind of winning the war over my spirit, most likely there is somebody that I will be in presence with who is feeling that and can encourage me when I'm not where I should be, right? So this this is why we even said we were studying the Psalms, right? Because we're to speak to one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to encourage one another. And so the content of Psalms is meant to be used by us towards each other to encourage one another. And so if we were just left in isolation all the time to do this on our own, man, think about the days where we don't feel like praising him. Think about the days where we are struggling and not where we should be. It's the community that we put ourselves with that helps encourage us and sustain us when we're not feeling some of these things that the psalmist tells us to express. We do it in community. But look at number two. His history of working has been intentionally preserved for the purposes of us understanding him. So he tells us to study, he tells us to praise him, and then the psalmist goes on to tell us that God has purposefully preserved his works so that we can study and so that we can know him. Verses 3 and 4, full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. His works, particularly towards his people, reveal the full scope of his character. Look at some of the character traits that are mentioned here. His righteousness, his graciousness, his mercy. These things become known to us because we're able to remember what he's done to his people in the past. Right? That's why God has gone to such great lengths to preserve his word for us. I mean, think about how many thousands of years have passed since God's people in the Old Testament lived. Think about how much more things are up to date today right? What is the relevance of people who lived thousands of years ago? Well, think about the track history that we have of God and his provision for his people, right? So our kids and our youth are growing up in a totally different day and age, right? They're experiencing things that that other people of God have never had to experience before. Why does it matter what Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon and these individuals went through and what they experienced? Today is totally different. Well, it matters Because when we tell our kids and we tell our youth, you can trust God, we have greater reason to give them than just what God has done for our family, right? We can say God's been doing this for families for eons, right? For centuries, God has been providing for his people. And he's not just providing because of what today is like today. He's been providing for them since he started calling people his people, right? He's caused these things to be remembered for a particular purpose so that we can see his character. We can deepen our belief in his character too because we see it over the course of time. 
these are the things that he wants us to know about him. Remember when we talked about Exodus 34, 6, and 7, when Moses wants to see God, and God very intentionally says, you're not going to see my face, but you are going to be allowed to to see me pass by you, and you're going to know something specific about me. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, right? Abounding in steadfast love and mercy, but will by no means clear the guilty, right? So there's a justice aspect to who God is too. This is what he wants to be known as. He wants to be known as a God of righteousness, a God of mercy, and a God of grace. And he has very strategically allowed us to see who he is throughout history in these ways. And we're called to study his works. We're called to praise him in response for what we've studied. As we come to know him more through a study of what he has done, we are to praise him more in response to it. What we remember becomes the basis for our relationship in the present with him. It's why our memory is so important, and it's why, we, why, we, um, why we're saddened when we, when we have loved ones who start to lose their memory, right? The memory piece is so crucial to our relationship with other people, right? You, you've maybe seen movies where, um, you know, I've told you I like movies where you see, like, this alternate reality of what life could have been if you'd made choices and decisions. Sometimes in those movies, uh, you come back to real reality, and this person has got this relationship in this other reality, and they're trying to engage with this person. This person's like, I don't even know who you are, right? Uh, memory is so important. It's our basis for our relationships with each other. It's why when, in old age, when memory starts to wane, it's like, no, you, no you're, losing, you're losing who you are with us, right? You're losing the memories that we have because that's the foundation of our relationship. God's saying, I've made my works known. I've allowed you to remember them right? Because it's so important that you know who I am for the relationship that I'm calling you to have with me. We need to remember these things. We need to remember what God has shown about his provision for his people because it will sustain us in the present. Number three, he shows himself faithful through the ways he provides time and again for those who follow him. He shows himself faithful through the ways he provides time and again for those who follow him. Look at verses five and six. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. Look at verse 9. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. His care and provision for his people oftentimes extends beyond his general provision for all mankind. Now, God is a provider by nature, right? So even when it comes to the, um, the lost, even those who don't follow him, the wicked, the Bible tells us he allows the rain to come on those crops. He allows the sun to shine on those crops, right? We, we talked earlier in our study in Psalms, the wicked prosper at times, right? God provides for mankind in a general way. But when it comes to his people, he provides in more, in more specific ways, more extensive ways, more intentional ways. And that's certainly what we see when we think about God and his provision for the Old Testament people. Now, I think the psalmist probably has in mind here when he's talking about redemption, he's talking about food, and he's talking about nations falling. I think he's talking about the Exodus, right? So think about the redemption that came. God's people didn't really feel like his people. They were, they were slaves in Egypt, Right? Didn't even fully know him because their knowledge of him was pretty limited just to oral tradition. Didn't even really know his laws because they hadn't been given yet. So God goes down to Egypt and he redeems his people, saves them, rescues them, and pulls them towards him. 
right? Then he gets them in the wilderness and begins to provide food very strategically and intentionally for them where there is no food and water. Um, think about how he even sustains their, um, their clothing and their shoes, even after their rebellion towards him. Deuteronomy 29.5 talks about uh, how their clothing and their sandals, after 40 years in the wilderness, were like still the same items, Right? Wouldn't that be awesome as parents if our kids could wear clothing and shoes that long? Right? AJ, our oldest, has gotten into the age now where his shoes, they fall in the young men category and not the kid category anymore. So our kids, if you know them well, like, they wear Crocs pretty much everywhere. Right? Crocs are like a glorious invention, at least for kids' footwear. I love them too, but for kids' footwear, awesome. Um, and they used to be a certain price when you were a kid. And then AJ's moved into the young men category, and, and they want like 20 to $30 more for that piece of rubber just because it's a little bit bigger, right? I wish AJ's shoes didn't wear out, but they do. God provided for his people in such a way in the wilderness where their stuff didn't wear out because they didn't have Old Navy. They didn't have Amazon to order new stuff from. I mean, they're wandering around in a wilderness. Where are they going to buy new stuff? Where are they going to find the stuff to make new stuff? There's not anything. And God lets it, God lets it endure. God gives them food and, and, and water. And here's what's crazy to think about. They've rebelled against him, right? Rebelled against him. And he says, you're never going to go in the promised land, right? Most of you are never going to go in the promised land. Only your, only your kids are going to be able to go in. And yet he continues to give them food and water and sustain clothing for 40 years. He keeps them alive for 40 years, even though he's told them, you have no destiny, no future in the promised land. And his provision is just unbelievable when you think about how he, how he very intentionally gives to his people. He provides for our daily needs too, right? And he certainly has provided a way of redemption for us, not from Egypt, but at Calvary. When he saved us, when we were dead in our sins, we were slave to our sins, he saved us, right? He gave them the nations in Canaan with, with virtual ease, right? We know they had to fight for it, but think about the miraculous ways that he gave the nations of Canaan to them. Walls falling down. Enemies, or, or their enemies fighting amongst themselves even, to where they didn't even have to necessarily lift a sword as much, right? With ease, God gives them these nations. He shows himself faithful through the ways he provides time and again for those who follow him. Why is that important? Because as our kids are growing up and our youth are growing up, we tell them God's going to provide for you. When you step out from my house and build a house of your own, he is going to provide for you, right? He is going to take care of you because he's always taken care of his people. He's always shown himself to be faithful in those ways. Number four, because of the patterns seen in his works, he gives us great reason to both fear him and obey him by imaging him well. Verses seven and eight, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. He's given us these patterns of how he works, right? He's, he's a merciful God, a gracious God, a righteous God, meaning he's a, a, he's a creator God who always does the right thing for his people. And even when we don't do the right thing back, he gives us grace and mercy. And he never changes. He's always that type of God. He doesn't have this ebb and flow where sometimes he's merciful and gracious and sometimes he's not. He's always this way. 
He's always providing for his people. He's always caring for his people. And it gives us the reason to fear him and obey him by seeking to image him well. I told you that the big idea today is for us to see who God is and then to see that it gives us reason not just to obey him, but to delight in obeying him, to lovingly obey him. I put in my notes, to not want to follow him with all of our being. It's, it's similar to like when you watch a movie and, and there's a character who is in love with the wrong person that they should be in love with, right? Uh, I remember my sister and I watched this movie growing up, and I won't tell you the name because it's probably not appropriate. We saw the TV version. But the idea in this movie is you've got this boy who wants to be with the most popular girl in school, right? Like the big thing for him is how do I get a date with her? I'm in love with her. And he's got this best friend who's a girl who adores him and loves him and does everything for him, right? And he's oblivious to it. He doesn't see it, right? He keeps giving his affection to this thing, this person, this girl who has no interest in him. And the whole movie is about how he wants to be with this other girl. And by the end of the movie, it dawns on him, I'm an idiot. I'm supposed to be with her because she loves me and she cares for me and she treasures me, right? It's similar in my mind to how we give ourselves to the things of this world, right? We go, we go running after these things that promise no fulfillment, that, that, that never give us exactly what we need, And yet God is over here with this proven track record of always loving us, always caring for us, and always being there for us. And we keep saying, no, no, I I want this over here. This, This seems better. This seems more important. And God's saying, look at my track record. Look at my history. Look at my character. I'm righteous. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. And these things never change, right? When we get a glimpse of his character, Man, it causes us not just to want to follow him, but to long to follow him, to delight in following him. Because he has shown himself to be faithful and just, we can trust that what he asks of us is trustworthy. We thus have a responsibility to follow and obey him with faithfulness and uprightness. His precepts, his commands, they're trustworthy. They're to be performed with faithfulness and righteousness. We're to fear him. And those who practice this, those who respond in this way, they have a good understanding, meaning they've looked at his works, they've understood his works properly, and they want to follow him, and his praise endures forever. Now, Psalm 112. We study the works of God and praise him in, in 111. And in 112, we fear the words of God and we obey them. We fear the words of God and we obey them. The stability of God and his character impacts the god fear her with his own stability and godly character. So the stability of God and his character impacts the one who will fear God with his own stability and godly character. So that's what we're saying in Psalm 111, attributes of God. Psalm 112, the character traits of a godly individual. The godly individual responds to who God is and what he's learned about him and says, I want to be like him. I want to follow him and I want to mimic him. I want to image him by being as closely like him as I can be. Number one, what we know about God should lead us to not only obey him, but to delight in doing so. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Remember back in 111 verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. 
in the company of the upright and in the congregation. Now it says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. There's a parallel here in that I believe the heartfelt worship of chapter 111 verse 1 is understood by us delighting in our obedience and submission to him. That's what God desires, right? God desires heartfelt worship where we are not just simply doing what we are told to do. We are delighting in doing what we've been commanded to do, right? That's what heartfelt worship is. It's when I submit myself to God, not out of obligation and duty, but out of delight. When I say yes to him, not just because my parents have told me to say yes to him, not just because my pastor has told me to say yes to him, but because my heart has seen his works and said, I'm supposed to have been with him all, the, all along, right? Not the things of the world, but with, with him. He's the one who cares for me. He's the one who loves me. He's the one who provides for me. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Not just who greatly obeys his commandments, but who delights in doing so. Number two, God's stability and character translates to stability in the believer's life as well. Right? We see all in chapter 111 about how God is who he says he is and how that endures forever. He remembers his covenant forever. Right? His precepts are trustworthy and they were established forever and ever. His righteousness endures forever. So the picture we get in chapter 111 is that God is forever like he is. Forever he is like he is. There's stability in who we are following. Well, chapter 112 helps us to see that his stability translates to our stability. Look what it says in verse 2. His offspring, the offspring of the one who fears God. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house. There's stability in the home, and it's seen through the benefits and privileges that family members enjoy. Think of it this way. Being a Christian mom or dad doesn't guarantee the salvation and obedience of your children. It doesn't. I wish it did. I wish that if you were a Christian, it guaranteed that your kids would become Christians. It doesn't. But I will say that there are unique privileges and benefits for your kid to be in the home of a godly person. Because think about it. If God has always taken care of his people and has always provided for his people, right? you as one of God's people will reap that response from him and inevitably, your spouse and your kids will also reap that too, right? So while it does not guarantee salvation, it does guarantee privileges and benefits. And so God is saying, look, the offspring of the one who fears God, man, there will be great benefits for them for that, right? And oftentimes it does lead to their salvation as well, right? So while it doesn't guarantee their salvation, it certainly guarantees that there will be benefits that they will reap because of God's providential care for the individual member of that family, who is a believer. God's stability and character translates to stability in the believer's life as well. Benefits towards his offspring. His house is cared for, wealth and riches. Now, you read that and you're like, but I don't, I don't consider myself to have wealth and riches. Maybe there's been times in your life where you felt that way, maybe not presently today, or maybe you haven't felt that, maybe you will in the future. I think it's important to see uh, what, what's mentioned in the second half of verse 3. It's the righteousness of the individual who will endure forever. 
right? So that leads into point number three. Following God does not guarantee ongoing earthly success or ensure the absence of hard times. Right, so this isn't a promise of, like, we're not, we're not doing the incentive method here of, hey, if you'll follow God, you get wealth and riches, right? Like, that's not what's being preached by the psalmist. Because he goes on to say in that very next, in that very continuation of the verse, it's not wealth and riches that endure. It's the righteousness of the individual who has given himself to God, who gets the righteousness of Christ. It's that righteousness that endures forever, Right? Um, note that the wealth and riches and earthly stability aren't guaranteed to endure, but his righteousness does. Look what he says in verse 4. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. What does that tell me? Well, it tells me that I can expect dark times. So if I'm a believer, a God-fearer, who is seeking to obey him and follow him in delight because of who he is, even if I'm doing all of that, it doesn't guarantee me that I won't experience dark times. In fact, the psalmist says there will be dark times for the upright. But what's the promise there? Not that there won't be dark times, but that light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He's gracious, merciful, and righteous. So dark times in our life aren't prevented, but there is a promise of light that always dawns. It's the same truth we see in Psalm 23. There's the valley of the shadow of death, and our shepherd takes us through that. He takes us to the green pastures on the other side. The light dawns always in the darkness for the believer. God's grace and mercy and righteousness, they shine forth in those dark times to help us. His character always remains the same in the dark. So these dark times come. We're going to see in a minute bad news comes. We're going to see in a minute enemies, adversaries come. But we have an answer for how to deal with each of these things if we're fearing God. If we're in right relationship with God, we've examined his works, we've examined his stability, we've examined his faithfulness and how he cares for his people, and we've given ourselves to him. Out of delight, we have responded and given ourselves to him. Doesn't guarantee that everything goes our way moving forward. Dark times are coming, bad news is coming, enemies are coming. But we've been given an answer for how to respond to those things. Okay? We've been given an answer to how to respond to those things. Earthly success is not guaranteed. The absence of hard times is not guaranteed. But his character remains the same. Light shines in the darkness. For our D group study this, this month with First John chapter 1, we're seeing the difference between light and darkness being described and how God is defined as light. Right? He is described as light different from the darkness. He is the light that shines in the darkness. And number four, by seeking to image God more, we lean into his character more, which further establishes us in hard times. By seeking to image God more, we lean into his character more, which further establishes us in hard times. Light dawns in the darkness. Verse five, it is well with the man who deals generously in lens, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He's distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Do you see how in chapter 111, we talked about God's generosity, his provision, right? He gave redemption to his people. He gave daily 
needs to his people. He gave deliverance to his people from these other nations. He's a God who gives. He's a generous God, right? He calls us to image him well. We can't image him well unless we too become generous. And so 112 talks about how we are to be generous. We are to be givers, right? It is well with the man who deals generously, who lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. He distributes freely. He gives to the poor. In all of the ways that we see God's kindness and generosity in chapter 111, we're called to give of ourselves to others in chapter 112. Look how um, the Apostle Paul uses this passage and quotes from it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9. He quotes verse 9 from Psalm 112 in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 9, but we'll start in verse 6. So 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which will through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul says this is what we're supposed to be if we follow God. People who give, people who are generous. We're to be generous and just with those who we deal with. It's the ways that we see God dealing with his people. Um, and it's the ways that we saw God calling his people to deal with others back in our minor prophets study. Remember, there was such a focus in the minor prophets about how Israel had failed to be generous and had failed to be just. Justice and generosity had been thrown out the door. And these are two character traits that are so important in how we understand God. We cannot image him well if we're not known for our justice and our generosity. So, in 112, we're seeing that the godly avoid the temptation that often comes when we have money and wealth, and that's to be greedy and abusive with whatever wealth we do obtain. The godly don't do that. Generosity, instead, is what they're known for. And generosity gets the attention of God, and it enrages the wicked, right? God notices our generosity, and he responds to our generosity. It's the wicked who sees it, verse 10, and is angry about it, gnashes his teeth, and melts away. There's stability that comes from living in alignment with his ways. So so here's kind of the the idea here. If I commit to being like God, I cannot be like God unless I know God, which inevitably leads me to knowing more about God, right? So the more I desire to be like God, the more I have to invest in knowing God, which means when these difficult times come, I've pursued this deeper knowledge of God, trying to be like him, so that when the difficult times come, I am more stable because of the character that I've come to know of him, right? So when these bad times come, when these adversaries come, when, when this darkness comes, I'm far more prone to see the light shining. Man, isn't verse 7 such a great verse? He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Verse 8, his heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. 
doesn't say that there isn't bad news, and it doesn't say that there are no enemies. It just says that the godly responds differently because the world fears bad news. The world fears its enemies, but the godly fear God. And when we fear God properly, it really removes all other reasons to be fearful of anything else, right? Because if I fear God, meaning that I've been driven to follow him, then I trust that he provides for me. I trust that he's in control of everything. I I trust that he's been taking care of his people for all time. There really can't be bad news that's worth being afraid of, right? doesn't tell us to not see news as bad, right? Bad news is bad news. And I don't think that we're supposed to all of a sudden become rejoicing and praising him for the bad news, right? The bad news comes and we rejoice and praise him because he is still merciful, gracious, and righteous in the midst of the bad news. We don't praise him for evil. We praise him that he's still God in the midst of evil, right? We don't have to fear bad news. Our reaction and response is different because of what we've come to know about him. We do not fear bad news. We do not fear enemies because we fear our Lord instead. And then we see here at the end, the wicked, they become unstable because it's the desires of the wicked that will perish. You know, I started off by talking about how important it is for our youth and our kids to see this concept here, to see who God is and why we should follow him because the world will give us every other reason not to. The world will give us every other reason to think we should continue to pursue it. Verse 10 caps off everything we're seeing by telling us the desires of the wicked will perish. You pursue your desires through that avenue and you will not find satisfaction there. You won't find it. The wicked will perish. Their pursuit of their desires will perish. Here's our application for today. The things that I want to make sure that you understand and remember from what we've seen in these two chapters. Number one, we have a responsibility to find delight in the works of God. From the Old Testament past to our present day, find delight in the works of God, which will lead to delight in the commands of God, right? Don't just stop with thinking about how God has provided for his people in the past. Like we talk specifically, God has provided for his people in the past through the deliverance in Egypt, through the provision of food, through the provision of clothing, through the deliverance of the nations. But he has continued to provide for his people, and he has provided for your family, right? It would do you well in times where you you feel like, man, where is God and what is he doing? To think back on how faithful he has been to your family, how he has shown his faithfulness, how he has provided for you, not just in general ways, but in very specific ways. Ways that maybe you weren't anticipating, man. Nobody stepped into the wilderness thinking, I'm going to be wearing these same clothes when we come out of it 40 years later, Right? Nobody would have thought that. And yet here they are standing there still wearing the trends of 40 years ago, right? And they still look good on them, right? God provides in intentional ways for his people and he's provided for your family. We may not have that recorded in the annals of history, right? But you probably do in your memory and your memory is so important, right? To remember how God has provided for you. Find delight in those works of God, and then it will lead you to delight in his commands. Number two, keep in mind that ultimate happiness and present day holiness go together, right? The path to happiness is holiness, right? We follow him, we follow his commands, we obey him, not because we're told to do it, but because we've seen his character and we say, why would I not do it? 
And for some of us, it takes us to the very end of the movie that see, to, to see that we should be loving our best friend and not the things of this world. Don't wait till the end of the movie to see that. We saw that last week. Don't wait till the end of your life to really see what's important. Man, make the movie not really a movie and see it at the very beginning and say, oh, I need to be with him the whole time, right? Things of the world, nope, nope. Here's the one who loves me. Here's the one who cares for me. Here's the one who knows me and still wants me, right? Be with him. Keep in mind that ultimate happiness and present-day holiness go together. Number three, remember God's character and word endure forever, meaning we can remain firm, steady, and unafraid when bad news hits. Because he does not change and because his word does not change, even in the midst of all the change that we experience in our circumstances, we can stay firm, steady, and unafraid, even when the bad news comes. Because when the bad news comes, God is still God. He is forever God. He is forever righteous, gracious, and merciful, and he'll never stop being that way. Why would we not follow him? Why would we not delight in him? Kids and youth, don't just obey God because your parents are telling you to. Do it on the days that you don't feel like it because your parents tell you to. But don't be satisfied with just being obedient to your parents and obedient to the things that you're learning here at church or, or potentially at your Christian school if you go to a Christian school. Don't be content with just doing it because you've been told to do it. Man, fight to see why we do it. Fight to see that we're to delight in this because of who he is, because of how much he loves us. Why would we ever stop wanting to follow him? He's too good of a God to walk away from. Let's pray together. God, we thank you and praise you for these two Psalms. We thank you and praise you for who you are and for the picture that you've given of what we are to become. God, help us to see your attributes and help us to long and desire to image those attributes well through our own character traits. God, help us to see that you have called us to be obedient to you. But in calling us to be obedient to you, you have gone to great lengths to show us why we should be obedient to you. You have shown your character to us. You've shown your faithfulness to us. You've you've preserved it in such a way where we can remember all the ways that you've done this for people in the past. Lord, compel us here in the present to want to follow you to delight in following you. Help our youth, help our kids to see that. God, I don't want them to just grow up hearing the right thing to do and doing it because they've been told to do it. We haven't fulfilled our responsibility of training our children up to follow you if we haven't also given them the why, to connect the the why to the what we are supposed to do. God, we want to praise you. We want to worship you. We want to delight in you. And when we don't feel that way, I pray that the community that we've aligned ourselves to here at Sovereign Hope would encourage us to do those things. Thank you for, for calling us to follow you in community. Help our kids and our youth to see why community is so important. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.